0: Well, we are slaying giants these days. Amen? Amen. Are we? Last week we looked at a model for slaying giants. We looked at the ancient story of David and Goliath and we saw how God was at work in someone who was actually too weak to take on the opponent that he took on. But God defeated the opponent through David, and we use that as a model for what we want to discuss over the next four weeks as we address a variety of giants that are a part of our everyday experience. And today, we are going to contend with a ferocious giant. This is a four-headed giant. It kind of makes Goliath look like child's play. This is a, this is a huge giant that we call the financial giant. And as I spent time this past week praying and studying and trying to sense what I thought God might want to uh, have us deal with and think about during this hour, there were a lot of wonderful helps and practical guides, uh, some great steps that I thought, man, I want to share that, I want to share that, I want to share that, and um, I knew you wouldn't give me that much time. (laughs) So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to point you toward these resources, Uh, DaveRamsey.com will be a wonderful site for you, uh, both with what he has on his site and the resources he'll point you to. RonBlue.com, likewise. Uh, A subsidiary uh, website that he has, KingdomAdvisors.org, that'll be a, a great tool to you. And then crown.org, all those will be wonderful resources for you. A couple of them have some video messages on there that particularly uh, address what's going on with the economic crisis today and how to see that from a godly or biblical perspective. And so as I began to pray about what God might be up to with us over these next few minutes of this talk, uh, I will not be addressing some of those practical how-to type steps. In fact, we've got a Mike's course coming up at the beginning of 2009 that's going to be helping you with that also. So we're going to try to resource you in, in any and every way we can about all that. But I felt like our time would be best served over these next few moments for me to address the subject of the financial giant from a more theological standpoint. And so that's where we're going to go. That's where we're going to spend the next few minutes Uh, You took a stone with you last week, which was kind of a marker to say, I'm going to trust God, not in my abilities, that stone is nothing. The sling that hurls a stone is nothing. I'm going to trust God to fell, to slay the giants that are a part of my life. And today, as I said, this financial giant is a four-headed giant. You're going to have to lay that stone in the center of a forehead four times to knock this giant over. So you ready to go? You ready to slay a financial giant? Yeah, you're there? Okay, good. Well, here's the first one. That first head is denial. And that's tr- true. Denial is not a river in Egypt. <laughs> denial is a <laughs> sick way that we have of kind of suppressing what's true and what's real and living in something that we imagine. And so we're going to have to Slay this big giant by knocking off that first head that we would call denial. Here's the truth. The truth is that you don't have too little money. I'll sit down on that one. I'll say it again because I knew if you got it you'd say amen. Um, The truth is that you don't have too little money. I'm impressed already. Here's what's true. 1.1 billion in the world live on less than a dollar a day. I can't even imagine that. The average American lives on $97 a day. You go, I spend $97 every day? That's if you make around $35,000 a year. You do. 6.8 million teenagers in America have their own car, while 92% of the world's population do not own a car. Now I know, when we start talking about who's rich and who's not, uh, it's all relative, right? I mean, sure, there's some wealthy people in America. I ain't one. Yes, you are. A survey was done in the United States not too long ago to uh, answer this question. Who's rich? And those who make under $30,000 said rich is anybody that makes 74000 or above. In other words, they more or less said or reasoned, if I could make twice what I make right now, I'd be rich. The survey continued uh with those who make 30,000 to 50,000 a year they said rich is 100,000. Basically again if I could just double my own income that would be rich. The average American says rich is 120,000 a year. Now, here's the interesting thing, because some of you in this room make 74, some of you make 100, some of you make 120. And if we were to survey you, you'd say, no, I'm not rich. I don't know anybody that makes 74 or 100 or 120 that would say, yeah, I'm, I'm rich. But you are rich. You just don't feel like you're rich. And feelings are a big deal. The top earners in America were surveyed, and they said, "What's rich?" They said, "Well, five million would make you rich." And they were contending that five million would have a basic, typical investment return of about 200,000 a year. If you could have that kind of, of movement and liquidity of your uh, investments, you would be rich. So take that down a notch and just acknowledge: If you made two and a half million, you ain't rich and that thinking. So let's get more real and let's take it internationally. Internationally, if you earn $37,000, you're in the top 4% in the world. If you make $37,000 or more, 96% of the world is poorer than you. And if you make $45,000, you are in the top 1% of the world. For reasons that only God knows. He's allowed you to inherit grandma's money or to have the skills and the talents that you can do the job that makes the income that you make. Or He's allowed you to be born in the United States of America To have the opportunities and the doors open to you that have come your way so that you'd be rich. Now, does that mean He loves you more than He loves people that are poor? No. He's just got different plans for different people, and He's going to be at work in the lives of those who are poor differently than He's at work in the lives of those who are rich. And the Bible makes that clear. From beginning to end, there are specific passages addressed to the poor. And there are specific passages that are addressed to the rich. And my hunch is that a lot of us, when we come to the passages that where God is specifically speaking to the rich, we kind of gloss over that. Well, he ain't talking to me. Where's those poor passages? So, I've said you are the top 4 or 1% of the world's income earning capacity. You were rich. And nobody began to applaud. Nobody began to celebrate. Nobody was, yes, yes, I'm rich. I finally made it. Because you don't feel rich. In fact, right now, I've probably stirred your anxiety, your fears, your worries, your concerns, Because now you're going, okay, what's he going to say that makes me feel guilty about what I have and what I'm doing with it and what's going to be next? And I just promise you with all my heart, I'm going to do my very best to share with you in a way that there's no guilt. Because I think guilt is a lousy motivator and God doesn't work through guilt. Rather, I want us to work through truth. And the first head on this giant we've got to slay and knock over is the head of denial and just get to a point where we can acknowledge we are rich. Quit denying that. Now, I recognize in this room, some of us are unemployed, some of us are underemployed, some of us have extraordinary health situations that have us financially strapped, some of us have recently gone through bankruptcy, so I understand that there's some of that in the room, but by and large, and almost everyone else that will listen to this later online or with a CD, you're rich. You just don't feel rich. And when you don't feel rich, you don't act rich. But here's the remaining piece of the truth. Feeling rich isn't about income. Feeling rich is about margin. So when I'm 16 years old and I have my first job at the grocery store and I'm pulling in about $400 or $500 and I've got that sitting in the bank and I don't have a car note, I don't have a mortgage, I don't have any kind of debt, I don't have any credit cards, I don't have any responsibilities, I feel pretty rich. Because i got this huge margin with what I have in income and what I have with respect to responsibilities. I know a guy who was... Uh, Reflecting and and reminiscing about the time that he sold his starter home, his first home. He had lived in it for several years. He had built up a good equity in it. And so he sold it, took all that equity, and put it in the bank. And then he moved into a small rental situation for about a year as he was in transition. And he said, for that year, I had no debt, I had no mortgage, I had all this equity that I'd put away over here in the bank. I was in this little bitty rental house that wasn't hardly costing me anything. I felt so rich because he had so much margin. So if you find yourself looking in your cupboards and you've got uh, food there and you're going, you know what? I need to throw some of this away. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. That's rich. You're standing before your closet and it's uh, end to end with clothes, and you say, I've got nothing to wear. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. That's rich. You go out into your garage and you look at your cars. The house for your cars, where a lot of people in the world don't have a house, and your cars have a house. And you look at your multiple cars and you go, you know what? I need a new one. That one's kind of old. And so you actually trade in a working car for another working car. That's rich. When you're trying to figure out college funds and retirement funds and uh, savings funds and 401k, you've got extra money that you're actually consulting with people and sometimes paying people to tell you what to do with your extra money. And and your money will outlive some of you. You will have an estate that your children and grandchildren will have some of that money. You have extra money. You're rich. You just don't have extra margin. So that first giant head that we've got to lay that stone on is the head of denial. Now, here's what Paul had to say to those who were rich. He's writing to Timothy, who is now a pastor, and he's giving this counsel to his apprentice pastor. Timothy, the rich people in your church, I want you to tell them this. He says, command those who are rich. So friends, here's the point with the the first head of this beast. If you don't understand who you are, you won't know where you need to be and become. Anytime you're going to uh, go somewhere and you get out a map, you've got to know where you are in order to go to find out where you're going to be. Who are you and where are you? Where are you going to be and what are you going to become? We won't listen to Paul when he says, command the rich, if we think he's talking to somebody else. Okay? He's talking to you and me. So yes, if your child comes up to you as sometimes they do and they're looking at all this stuff and they're able to go the places you take them to go and experience the things they're able to experience and they go, Mom, Dad, are we rich? Be honest. <laughs> yes, honey, we're rich. And they go, Okay, well I'm going to tell my friends at school and you're like, Oh, no, 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 wait wait a minute. Well, why not? Because you are. Some of you are aware that Bill Gates has stepped out of Microsoft more and more so that he can step into his foundation work more and more. And he's done a number of projects all over the world. One of the points of focus for him is India. And there's a number of health-related things that he's trying to address in India. And the story is told not too long ago on one of those trips to India. He went out into a fairly remote area And there he was in this kind of hut situation with a woman, and a reporter was following him along, and he was through an interpreter asking her some of the questions related to her lifestyle and her needs and whatever. And after he finished talking with her and he left, the journalist stayed, and the journalist asked the woman through the interpreter, do you know you were just talking to the richest man in the world And immediately she replied through the interpreter, everyone from the West is rich. Which means, friends, if Bill Gates had left that hut and five minutes later you had walked into that hut, she would have thought about you just like she thinks about Bill Gates. It's just zeros. You're both rich. So I'm going to to make sure we're on the same page, to make sure you're actually taking the stone of faith and you're hurling it at that head, I'm going to ask you to make a confession together with me. And here's what the confession is. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. Can you make that confession? Will you just own up to that today? With, without respect to all the pressures and anxieties you're feeling about whatever and how some of these ends are going to be, God has blessed me with more than I need. And I'm rich. If you can make that confession, join me with that right now. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. Once more. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. Does that just feel weird to say? Let's go after that second head we not only have to lay a stone on that head of denial, we, that second head right next to it is the, the head of deception. Where we look at our wealth, we look at our money, we look at our resources wrongly. Money cannot secure your life. Trust in God. And almost everybody in this room gets that In the head. It's in the heart and the practical living of that out where it's different. Because in our head, uh, we go, yeah, i got to trust in God. But in the practical living of it out, it's like, I need more money. If I can just continue to get more money, I'll be able to lean into that money and I'll have more security. I feel insecure when I have less money. And to fell that giant, we've got to lay a stone on that second head, that head of deception that has us leaning into money. Paul said it this way, Command those who are rich, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything, here's a cool verse, for our enjoyment. God's blessed you. God's given you riches. God's given you opportunity. God's given you wealth for your enjoyment. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. But don't trust in it. Don't hope in it. Don't lean into it and upon it. One of the richest men that ever lived said in Ecclesiastes 5.1, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. There's probably nobody in the room that would say, yeah, I love money. Probably wouldn't say that. But what the verse is trying to get at is whoever leans into their money, whoever depends on their money, who's ever trusting and hoping in their money, they're going to find out how vain, empty, and meaningless that is. Because you never have enough. There's never enough money for you to depend upon. You go, know, boy, I sure would like to try that out if I could just get more and more of it." But here's the reality, friends. Let's say you've got more money than you've ever had before. Let's say you get up there in that two million, three, four, five million. And then your child runs away from home. Nobody can find him or her. At that point, forget your money. You're praying. You're looking to God for your lost child. Let's say that you get this bizarre diagnosis. There is no clear cure for this deadly diagnosis. You're not going to be able to throw money at it. You're gonna be looking at God. Let's say you get into this marriage, and you're looking for the intimacy and the connection and the oneness and this lifetime journey and you want to grow old together, and it is absolutely imploding and falling apart and it's racked with pain. You can't throw money at it. You're gonna be looking to God. Money is the number one competitor with God for your heart. Not the devil. Not evil and wickedness. Money. That's why Matthew 6.24 tells us no one can have two masters. You cannot follow and serve God and money. You've got to choose one or the other. It's that big of a deal. For all time, people have... Sought to lean into and secure themselves with their resources rather than the one who gives resources so where are you with that how much do you trust money rather than God how much do you lean into that rather than God let me ask two questions that I think will help with clarification the first is this which of these two statements creates more anxiety for you. There is no God. There is no money in the account. There is no God. For a lot of us, it just went right by. There is no money in the account. Upon whom or what do you trust and lean? How about this question? Does fear of not having enough hinder your willingness to give generously? If God stirs you, moves upon you about giving in some kind of generous and sacrificial way, and you know how limited or how exhausted your finances are at any given point, does that hinder you from giving? They go, well, yeah. Well, then, friends, you're looking and leaning more toward the wealth than you're toward the giver of wealth. Because if God leads you to give, and He's a good Father, then He's going to continue to meet your needs so that you can continue to be His conduit of giving to others. We're going to knock this giant out. We've got to hit off that head of denial. We've got to knock off that head of deception. Before I moved out here a number of years ago, the church I served in Kentucky was rallying around me and Sherry as we um, were making plans to, to come and plant what would become Meadowbrook Church. And as I was going around the whole region speaking in churches and casting the vision about, what uh, I I dreamed Meadowbrook could be someday. And I was actually asking congregations, would you support our cause? Would you uh, make financial contributions to help plant this church? Uh, And out of that, some of the people in my church that I was serving at that time felt impressed that they wanted to give. And so I had this woman come into my office one day, young um, 30-something who had four children, And the day she was going to announce her pregnancy with her fifth child to her husband, he was killed in a car accident. And so here's this young 30-something gal, four children under the age of six and about to have a fifth. And she's a part of our church and we're trying to care for her, and minister her during these days. And so when I start... uh, getting ready to leave that church and come out here, she comes into my office. And she said, I've been praying for you. been praying for this new church that God wants to start. And I feel like God told me to give this to that new church. And she slides a check across my desk. And before I even knew how much it was, I just wanted to take my hand and slide it right back. I was like, "Oh, Karen, you can't do that. Oh well, I bless your heart, I love you, thank you for wanting to support what's going to happen out in Seattle, but I, I cannot take a dime from you." And then I look down and it's 500 dollars. And this woman has no idea how she's going to make it in the future, with five kids and no husband. She's barely paid for funeral services and other things that had just taken place. God told me to do this. God bless this new church. See, that's somebody that's leaning on God rather than leaning on their money and on their bank account. And I've had the privilege of watching what happened with that woman over these past 18 years. She's had a marvelous life. She found a great husband uh, between his and, and, and uh, hers and theirs combined, they, seven children. And uh, some of them are honor students and they are national merit scholars and they've gone to colleges on full academic rides and they're loving God. and I mean, it's just an awesome thing to see what's happened to her through all these years. But that's not because she's lucky. That's because she's had a heart bent toward and turned toward God through all these years. So I'm going to encourage you to make another confession. And that is this. I will not trust in my riches, but in Him who richly provides. Can you make that confession? Will you join me in that confession? Let's say it. I will not trust in my riches but in Him who richly provides. Once more, I will not trust in my riches, but in Him who richly provides. And amen. Well, there's a third head on this beast, and it's the head called discontentment. Discontentment. I would be okay if I had more, if I had that, if I could do this, that discontentment head continues to bellow at us and intimidate us that we don't have enough. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough stuff. And the reality is, we have extra and God wants us to do more and give more for others. That's the reality. Back to what Paul said. He said, command those rich people. Timothy... To do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And so how do you lay a stone in the middle of the head of that discontentment part of the beast? You do so by generosity. You fell that beast with generosity. Giving away your time, giving away your money. You go... God, I don't have enough of either. Quit listening to the giant. Listen, it's almost unheard of in other parts of the world for people to work a five day work week and have two days off. And some of us have four day work weeks and three days off. Some of us get paid not to go to work two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks a year. We call it vacation. We actually get paid not to go to work. That doesn't happen around the world. Some of us get personal health days, holidays. doesn't happen around the world. The reality is, is that we take this extra time that God gives us and we fill it with stuff for ourselves. And we load up a calendar with recreation and with entertainment and with other kinds of obligations. Or we work too much. But God gives us this extra amount of time and we choose to do something else with it for ourselves. And the same thing with money. We choose when our income rises to bring our standard of living up to meet it. And God's like, you know, if you just keep living where I've taken care of you so well and do something else with that extra instead of you know raising your standard of living to that, you go, but Scott, this is an expensive part of the world. And actually when you get into fine things, they're like investments. It's not like spending. Friend, only rich people talk that way. If you didn't have the money, you wouldn't talk that way or think that way. You'd just go with what's less expensive. You don't have to have the car or cars that you have. You don't have to have the house that you have. You don't have to have the wardrobe that you have. You don't have to have the latest and greatest of whatever other kinds of stuff. These are all choices. And I'm not saying that any of them of themselves are wrong. I'm just saying that if you're leaning into God, you move ahead in those kinds of things with His pleasure only, not just your pleasure. And if God gives you a green light to get a different car, go get a different car. If He gives you a green light and says, I I want you in this other neighborhood, I've got missional plans for you in that other neighborhood, well then make that move. I'm not saying those things are wrong. What's wrong is when we do all that without consideration of God. We do all that out of discontentment. See, we're hearing this from a man who had been very wealthy. Paul had been very wealthy. And he had become very poor. He lost all of his wealth when he became a follower of Christ. He said, I know what it's like to be rich. I know what it's like to be poor. I know what it's like to be content in both ways. He slayed that financial giant, by knocking off that head of discontentment. The fact of the matter, his friends, is that when you had $10, it was no big deal to give a buck. When you got $100, it was not that big of a deal to give 10 bucks. When you had $1,000, it actually maybe kind of made you feel pretty good to give 100 but oh my gosh, I've got $10,000 and the thought of giving 1000 thousand—oh Oh my gosh, God gives me $100,000 and the thought of giving away 10000 That just kind of jokes me. Can I do without that? And the discontentment head will scream, No, no, you can't do without that. You must have that. What are you, Crazy? When people come over to your house, you entertain guests. You go, I'm so glad you came over tonight. Let's see what leftovers we have. Oh, you know what? I got a little Tupperware thing of peas. Oh, I got a little broccoli over here. Uh, Oh, here's some uh, lasagna we had last week. You never do that. If you have guests over, you give them the good stuff. Later, you take the leftovers. That's the way it is with wealth, friends. Wealth is not for you. Leftovers are for you. It's all from God. God saw to it that you were born in the family you were born with. You, you were born with the gifts and the talents and the capabilities that can earn the income. He's, he's seen to it that you're in this country, the most prosperous country in the world, that you have the doors of opportunities. He has given, 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 not so that you can have, 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 but so that He can disperse through you. You see, when a watching world sees a rich person say, my treasure is not my stuff, my treasure is my Savior, they sit up and take notice of that. So, he gives you this wealth so that you can glorify him, so that you can draw attention to him by the way you give away your time and your money. When you become a great giver in time and in money, a watching world pays attention. Leftovers. Mmm, that's for us. All right, here's our confession. Can you you confess this, that because I am rich, I will do more. I will give more. We'll think about that one for a minute. If you can confess that with me, say it. Because I am rich, I will do more and give more. I said it so loud I couldn't hear you. One more time. Because I am rich, I will do more and give more. Amen. Amen. Alright, well we got one more head that we got to knock off on this giant and that's the head of distraction. The head of distraction where we forget where we are. We're in this world. This is not our home. This is all temporary. Our home is somewhere else that's eternal. That's forever. We get distracted about that so that we get too focused about here and now. We're in this world Briefly. And so Paul says, command those rich people that they will do more good, that they will be more generous, that they'll have all these good deeds, because in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Paul is saying, rich people, figure it out the more you give away, the more you divest yourself of your time and your, your uh, money, the more treasure in heaven you lay up. And you go, man, that doesn't make mathematical sense. Because mathematically, uh, when I subtract from the stuff that I have, I, don't I have less? Well, except for in God's economy, where you have more. Now, I'm not saying with the televangelists, Give a dollar and God will give you a hundred in return. Give a thousand dollars and God will give you a you know, quarter of a million. If they believe that, they'd never ask you for any money. All they'd ever do is give it away and just rake it in. Right? Amen? Right? They don't believe that stuff. So, what we're talking about when you give it away and you get... Tra- you're talking about in heaven. You become rich. Toward God by the way that you have kept your heart separated from an attachment to wealth. So let's close with this. And uh, for the second time I'm not going to read it. But the parable in Luke chapter 12 is about the rich man who has a bumper crop year. And the scripture is very clear to say his ground produced this bumper crop. Which is to say God made it happen. God brought the right kind of weather conditions and God brought the right kind of fertilization of the soil and he worked it all together uh, biochemically beneath the ground and boom, this bumper crop comes. And it's such a stupendous crop. The guy's like, my barns are not big enough for this. What should I do? Now, that's a good question. Anytime you have extra time or extra money, it behooves you to say, what should I do? I would just say, ask the question not of yourself. Ask the question of God. And so the guy asked himself, what should I do? And self said, we'll find a way to hang on to more of it. Knock down those barns and build bigger barns. And the man said, that's a good idea. So he builds bigger barns. He's got a bigger harvest. He's got more wealth than he's ever had before. And then God breaks into the scene. He goes, what are you doing? You fool. See, you, don't, you thought you had more time because you had more money. It doesn't go that way. You're out of time. Tonight was the time for you to check out of this world and go into the next. And the man died and, leave, and left behind all of the extra wealth. Now, God called him a fool. Not because he was rich. God had helped him be rich. God called him a fool because he wasn't rich toward God. It's great to be rich toward material things in this world. Thank you. I'm grateful, Lord, that you have prospered me the way that you have. But a million times more, I want to be rich toward God. And as you keep going down in the passage in chapter 12 of Luke... Jesus says, Listen, you want to be rich toward God? Give away what you have. Sell your possessions and give away what you have. And he goes, Scott, you want me to divest myself of everything? No, not everything. But how about a lot of that stuff you don't use anymore? I mean, we live in the day of eBay. List it, sell it, and give it away. I mean, put something on Craigslist that you don't use anymore. Let somebody come and lay a few bucks on you. And then give that away. Bless those that have less all around us. So, here's our confession. I will be rich toward God, for He is the greatest treasure. Can you confess that with me? Let's say, I will be rich toward God, for He is the greatest treasure. Once more, I will be rich toward God, for He is the greatest treasure. So, let me wrap up with this. I'm going to ask you to make these commitments, because if you're going to knock down this giant, lay a stone on all four of those heads, will you quit denying that you're rich? And be rich gratefully and responsibly. Will you trust in God? And not money. Will you do more and give more for others? Will you become rich toward God? Let's pray. Father, it's almost humorous, I'm sure, to you that we would call this financial beast a giant. Because it's so small compared to you. And it's as ferocious as those four heads are. When we look at you, we take courage. We are strengthened. Our confidence swells. You're a good God. You're a loving, gracious, giving God. You've blessed us beyond what we deserve and beyond what we need. Empower us to be grateful, responsible, stewards, we pray. Amen and amen.